Bibles with you, please open to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 10. So I've already got one little warning this morning. Deirdre said, these seats are uncomfortable. This better be a short one. (laughs) Thank you all for coming this morning. I know it's a little different. It's a little more uncomfortable. We're grateful to uh, Sun Valley for allowing us uh, to use this gym. And God is good and sovereign in the auditorium, in this gym, outside, inside. We praise Him for this uh, opportunity to to hear and share from his word. This is Matthew chapter 6 and verse 10. If you're able, please stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. We find ourselves in the midst of the Lord's prayer, looking at the second and third petitions of the prayer. Chapter 6, verse 10 says, the Lord Jesus says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray with me, please. Our God and Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, the name that is above all names, and we are grateful for the opportunity to be able to hear from your word this morning. Lord, may I decrease, may you increase. May Christ be glorified In this sermon today, may we worship you through the preaching of your word. Open our ears and our hearts to receive it. Teach us, Jesus, how to pray. If there's anyone here who's never trusted you, bring that one savingly to yourself, that they might taste and see that the Lord indeed is good. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done this day in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever been asked to wait on something and you wait with great anticipation? I remember the date, December the 11th, 2016, not that long ago. That was a very special day for me here at Church of the Redeemer. That was the date that you as a congregation voted on whether or not I was going to be your senior pastor. And I remember Ed Schroeder calling me that day. And letting me know how the day went. And I rejoiced about that news and was thankful for what the Lord was doing in your hearts and and in my heart. Yet for me, I knew that the journey to get to Redeemer was not over yet. Because in the Presbyterian form of government, not only does a church have to vote on their pastor, but that pastor has to be examined and approved by presbytery. And in my mind, anticipation started, and I knew that was going to last for a while. In fact, it lasted 76 days. 76 days from the day there was a vote, that was the day of presbytery. And during those 76 days, I was filled with anticipation. What's, what's going to happen? Will I pass the oral exam through the committee? Will I pass the oral exam through the presbytery. We'll fast forward to February 25th, 2017. So about two years ago, God gave me what I had waited for, and it was finally here. He allowed me to get through that exam, and I was approved, and the anticipation was met with a yes, yes, Adam, the Lord 
is leading the, your, the church and the presbytery to say, this is, this is the next step for the church. This is the next step for you. And I had so much joy that day in February, two years ago. Well, how about you? What is something that you've anticipated? Maybe you've anticipated a phone call or an email about a job, or you've anticipated the arrival of one of your children, or maybe you've anticipated a test result to come in, whether it was a medical test or an academic test, ACT, SAT, GRE results. You wait and you wait, then finally the waiting ends, the results come in, and Lord willing, there's great joy or relief, but at least there's something there that you know that you can act on. Well, I tell these stories about anticipation and waiting, because in the Bible, the Old Testament shows us a people who were waiting, who were anticipating the king that was to come, the one, the chosen one of God that was to come. You know, from Genesis to Malachi, the Bible talks about the one who was to come. And the Old Testament people of God, they waited. And they read the Scriptures. They anticipated with the Scriptures about the one to come. They read in Genesis 3 that he was going to be the seed of the woman. In Genesis 12, he was going to be from the line of Abraham through whom all nations would be blessed. From the prophet Isaiah, they read he was the one that would be the shoot out of the stump of Jesse. He would be a priest better than Aaron, a prophet better than Isaiah, and a king better than David. In fact, in Zechariah 9.9, it talks about the coming king. Zechariah says this, Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Yes, there was a long time of waiting and anticipation was there. But the Bible says when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And the one the Old Testament people of God had waited on, he was finally here. The king had arrived and it wasn't just any king. It was God's Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we learn today that that king, he brought his kingdom with him. His rule and his reign, the Lord Jesus was getting ready to establish here on earth. Today we look at the second and third petitions of the Lord's Prayer, which says, your kingdom come, your will come be done. And as we talk about the kingdom of God, be sure that we're going to talk about the king. Because every kingdom has to have a king. And we're talking about King Jesus today as we learn of his kingdom. So two simple points today. If you have your bulletin, look on the back of your bulletin. Let that serve as a guide, an outline as we walk through this text today. Two simple points. The kingdom of God and then secondly, the will of God. The people of God had anticipated the king coming and Jesus comes and he talks to us about the kingdom of God. So before we go any further, let's first ask this question. What is the kingdom of God? What is Jesus talking about? 
Well, when we answer that question, we see that God's kingdom is the rule and the reign of God's Messiah, His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that God, after all that time of the Old Testament, sent forth His Son. You know, we listen to John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way, right? He was the one sent, go before the king to prepare the way for the kingdom. And what did John say? He said, repent, because the kingdom of God's at hand. Jesus repeated the same thing. So when we speak of the kingdom of God, we're talking about God's Messiah reigning in His kingdom as both Redeemer and King. And we see that a long time ago in our past, when Jesus came, He did what we call He inaugurated the kingdom. He started it. In Luke chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus says this, But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What Jesus is saying to the people is look around. See what I'm doing in your midst. See the power that God has given me as the mighty king. If you're seeing demons cast out by the power of God through me, you know there's the evidence. It's right in front of you. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. It's here. Here's the proof. And Jesus is certainly telling us he's the king of that kingdom. We remember that text in Zechariah 9, 9. Your king is coming to you. Yes, he's riding on a donkey. We know that Christ fulfilled that promise on Palm Sunday when Jesus, lowly Jesus, comes riding into Jerusalem on that donkey. And he's teaching them that the kingdom of God is at hand because the king is here. He's fulfilled the Old Testament promise. And the king is among you. But for you and for me, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is not simply just something that's in our past. Yes, we look back and see that Christ inaugurated his kingdom. The casting out of demons, the king was in our midst, but that the kingdom of God is also present in our lives. Right now, the Bible says that Jesus is reigning. When he ascended into heaven, what did he do, the Bible says? He sat down at the right hand of God. Imagine the seat that Jesus is sitting in right now. Is there a higher seat ever been given to anyone? People have sat by presidents and kings here on this earth, but has anyone sat at the right hand of the Father? Only Jesus has done that, and Jesus is doing that now, and He is presently reigning in our hearts and in our lives. And He teaches us to pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. So right now, just as Jesus reigns in heaven, He desires to reign in the hearts of men on earth. Now here's the question. How does this happen? How does Jesus continue to reign in the heart of man presently here on earth as the kingdom of God is expanded? First of all, men and women have to enter that kingdom. We've got to be led into the kingdom. How do we come into the kingdom? 
by faith in Jesus Christ. How do those have faith in Jesus Christ? They have to be drawn to Christ by the Holy Spirit. And how do they do that? They have to hear the Word of God proclaimed. They have to hear the gospel. They have to hear the good news. So when we pray a prayer like, Your kingdom come, your will be done, you know what that's a prayer of? It's a prayer of missions and evangelism. It's a prayer that is teaching you and me to be on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and to share the gospel with other people that they might hear the good news and believe upon the one who was sent, that king, that they might by grace through faith enter that kingdom. The Bible says we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to everyone who believes. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news to those who need to hear the message of salvation. So one of the things we ask of ourselves when we pray thy kingdom come, are we making God's kingdom known to others that they too might believe by being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ? On your notes, I, put a, I believe I put a quote by John Calvin. Calvin's talking about Christ ruling in our hearts right now, that right now it's an invisible kingdom of God. We don't literally see Jesus sitting on a throne. So the question is, how do we make the invisible kingdom of God visible to a world that needs Jesus? Calvin says it this way. He says it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. Well, how do we do that? We do that through obedience. We do that through witness. We do that by living under the lordship of Christ. Here's a great quote by R.C. Sproul. He says, We have to live in such a way that we bear witness to the reality of the kingship of Christ in our jobs, in our families, in our schools, with our checkbook, because Christ is Lord over our entire life. He's king of everything. And if we are to make his invisible kingdom visible, we are to do that in all of those ways. But Sproul went on to say this. He goes, here's the problem. He says, we're all willing as Christians to pray this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, but don't ask me to do it. Don't make me do it in my house. Don't make me live for you in my job. Don't call me to be a witness at my school. Lord, I don't want to serve you with my checkbook. But the king of the kingdom is teaching us what it means to live under the lordship of Christ. The whole Sermon on the Mount, that is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The big picture about that entire sermon, we're right in the middle of it is that Jesus is teaching us what it means to live in the kingdom of God while being in the context of the kingdom of the world. You see that? 
You see, the kingdom of God invaded the kingdom of the world, which is ruled by the prince of the power of the air. Everything that is opposed to God. See, the world is going to take everything that Jesus says and take it in the opposite direction. But Jesus is teaching us what it means to have the authority of the king, his kingship on our hearts. And we are to serve him obediently, faithfully, and witness at job, family, school, checkbooking, all of those things. In fact, Jesus says, do it this way. He says, be the salt of the earth, be the light of the world. That's our calling. How can we make the invisible kingdom visible? By being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What does salt do? It preserves. It's a preservative. Keeps the bad out, keeps the good in. It also brings out the taste in things. Do you ever salt your food? To bring out the flavor, to bring out the taste. As Christians, we should be preserving our society through what Scripture says and how we should preserve that society, but we should also bring out the flavors of the gospel. We should bring out the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the compassion and love of Jesus to a world that needs to see that. That's what being salt means. Bring out the flavors of the gospel, but secondly, be light. I remember my Sunday school days, my children's church days. Hide it under a bushel. No, there we go. I'm going to let it shine. I remember singing that in my Southern Baptist church growing up. Jesus says, just like a city set on a hill. And by the way, Jerusalem was a city set on a hill at the highest elevation. You could see it for miles and miles away. Like a city set on a hill, so should our lives be in this dark world for Jesus Christ. Shine like the stars in the heaven, says the New Testament. Shine. Be a light for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. But he also says to believers, you're the light of the world. And we're the light of the world insofar as the light of Christ is in our hearts shining in a dark, dark world. Is your light shining? Is your life salty? That's the way the kingdom of God will come. That's the way the invisible kingdom will become visible here on earth. That's the present, but we also have a future with the kingdom, yes. The consummation of the kingdom. Because Jesus Christ says He's coming back one day. And when He comes back, the Bible says all things will become new. Our faith indeed will end in sight. That which is invisible indeed will become visible. And on that day, every knee will bow, either willingly or unwillingly, to the King of the kingdom, our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're praying for the consummation of that kingdom. We're praying for the return of Christ. We're praying that all things would be made new. For Jesus is the King of the kingdom. But secondly today, the other point that we have, the Bible talks about the will of God. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 
Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Easy to remember, 29-29, the book of Deuteronomy. I hear pages turning, I'll wait till you get there. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. This verse talks about two things, the secret things and the revealed things. When we talk about the will of God, Scripture comes to us and says that there's one will of God that kind of has two aspects. Let's talk about those two aspects even based on this one verse. Part one, and you can see it on your notes, is what's called the decorative will of God or the secret or hidden will of God as it says in verse 29. Decorative meaning decreed, the secret will of God. And by this, this is what we mean by this that God's decorative will is what God has purposed to do and is always done on earth and heaven. So everything that God purposed and planned that is done is His decreed or secret will of God. A.W. Pink says it this way, God's decorative will always is, always has been, and ever shall be upon the earth. But the other part of the same will of God is what's called the perceptive will. His revealed will. By perceptive, we mean based on the precepts of God. In other words, God's rules for actions that are revealed in the Bible, in Scripture. See, when people say, what is the will of God? I want you to know that in the pages of these 66 books is God's revealed will. That we don't have to look... very far to find the revealed will of God. He gave it to us in the Bible. So when we talk about His revealed will, we're talking about Scripture. Pink says it this way, it is equally evident that God's revealed will is violated every time one of His precepts is disobeyed. Can you break God's revealed will? Yes, we can. In fact, we're all guilty of that. But those are the two parts of the same will of God, the decorative and the perceptive wills of God. Some things are secret, as this verse says, and some things are revealed. Now, in the prayer, in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, which one is he talking about? Is he talking about the decreed or the revealed will of God? I believe that primarily he's talking about God's revealed will, that we should be praying those things which are right in the sight of God, given to us through the pages of Scripture. So what does this mean? It means that you and I are called to take what God reveals about himself and pray it back to the Lord. We are to pray things based on his revealed will, and when we do, This is a great Dr. Kelly quote. We're lining ourselves up with the person of God and thus with the secret will of God, the secret purposes of God. 
So God says, pray the specifics of my revealed will so that my secret or decorative will might be fulfilled in your life. Now, someone says to me, well, Adam, I don't understand that because I don't know all the details. Guess what? Neither do I. Neither do I. The secret things belong to the Lord. He's told us in His Word, He's not going to tell us every detail about every single thing. But He says to us, I've given you my revealed will. Pray that revealed will back to me. That your heart and your mind and your actions might be lined up with my secret and decorative purposes for your life. It doesn't mean we're going to understand everything. And in fact, when we go through those times in our life, we need to lean on the providence of God. What does that mean? That's a big word. What is the providence of God? Simply, God in His providence preserves and governs all His creatures, all their actions with His divine plan. And God tells us as His people, if God says to us, He will actually use the prayers of His people praying the revealed will of God to work out His decreed will in our lives. Let me show you two examples in the Bible because I know this is, this is deep. We're talking two parts of the same will of God and decreed, revealed. Where do, where's an example of this, Adam? Psalm 30. If you have your Bibles, look at Psalm 30. A few months ago, I preached this, this psalm um, at Redeemer if you recall, this is David's prayer back to God uh, when David was sick. Um, he was going through a difficult time in his life. Look at Psalm 30, verses 8 through 12. This is just part of the prayer. So here's the question. How was David praying the revealed will of God to bring out the decorative will of God? Verse 8, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You've turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Listen, David's sick, and he does not know whether he's going to get well or not. God had not revealed that to him. He didn't know God's secret will. But he prayed. He prayed, and he based his prayer on what he knew God had revealed to him. What were those things? He knew God was faithful. He, God had revealed that to David in his word. So he prayed and appealed to God's faithfulness. He knew God was merciful. Have mercy upon me, a God who is merciful. I'm asking for your revealed mercy to be given to me. He knew that God was a helper. He said, God, be my helper. He knew that God wanted to be praised. He says, God, may these things happen in my life so that I can turn right around and praise you. 
He's praying God's revealed will so that God might work out His secret will in His life and through God's grace, we know from this psalm that David was made well and David gave thanks to God forever. Secondly, Exodus 32. Now, I'm not going to read the specific prayers we did in Psalm 30. Just simply talk about what's going on in Exodus 32. At that point in the life of the children of God, they had been taken out of Egypt already, that the children of God had witnessed the ten plagues. They had witnessed God acting on their behalf. They had witnessed the Red Sea. They they watched the Egyptians be crushed by the Red Sea. God had given them His law in Exodus chapter 20. But what did they do? They built a golden calf. Even though God had done all these amazing things in their midst, in their sight, they built a golden calf to worship it. And Exodus 32 says that God's wrath burned against them. God was getting ready to destroy them. But Moses prayed. And he prayed based on God's revealed will. He prayed back to God the will that God had given to his people with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He appealed to that plan. He appealed to God that there would be an offspring as many as the stars in the heaven. He appealed to the Lord that he wanted to bring this people into a promised land. These were things that Moses knew that God had clearly revealed to him. And Moses prayed these things back to God. And the Bible says that God took that prayer of Moses and used it to bring about God's decorative plan. You see, Moses didn't know what would happen. He simply prayed God's revealed plan back to God. And the Bible says God relented. He had mercy even upon that group of people. Do we see that David's prayer stood in the gap between his sickness and his death? Moses' prayer stood in the gap between Israel and God's wrath. They pleaded for God's undeserved mercy in accordance with His revealed will. And God used those prayer, prayers to work out His secret will. And I want you to know that the Lord will do the same for you and me. That's why you should never stop praying. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May you never stop praying that for your life and for the life of other people. Dr. Kelly says it this way, we are to plead for the undeserved mercy of God in accordance with His revealed will, in accordance with His nature, His glory, that God loves to be talked to on that basis. Pray the Scriptures back to Him. Moses did it. David did it. So should we. As we close our sermon today, what are some things I pray that you can take away from this, this message, this Scripture? Let us all remember that the King 
that was anticipated to come so long ago, he came. He inaugurated his kingdom. And presently he's reigning. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And he says, first of all, get the news out that people can enter my kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ. Be reminded of the mission and evangelism that God calls every believer to in this world. When you pray that kingdom come, you're praying, God, I want to be part of that. (laughs) I want to be part of letting people know how to come into this kingdom. How are you making the invisible kingdom visible? Are you salty? Are you shining the light? Or do you say, that kingdom come, but... Not in my house. May the, word, may the Lord work in all of our hearts if that is the case. And then finally, are you praying for God's will to be done? Are you praying God's revealed truth back to Him that He might work out His decorative decree in your life? Pray to God based on who He is, what He has done, what He has revealed to you. David did it. Moses did it. We're called to do the same. Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And then finally, once again, how can the Lord's Prayer apply to the building down the road that God is going to, Lord willing, open up for us very soon? May we pray that that building is used, that we might show people how to enter the kingdom of God by grace through faith. May we lift the name of Jesus high in that building, that they could see the door to the kingdom, who is Jesus. May we, in that building, make the invisible kingdom visible to Union County. Secondly, let's pray God's revealed will about our building. We know God is merciful and gracious. God, may you continue to do that in this building. You know you want us to be a witness, Lord. You've revealed that to us. May that building be a witness for you. May that be your will. You've told us you wanted us to be salt. You've told us you wanted us to be light. God, in that building, may your will be done through our lives to the glory of God of your name. Amen. Let's pray.